Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, folks. It's the one and only V, the Grill Economist, coming to you live. And we have with us the man of the hour himself, the one and only London Paul. You can check out his work at theseriousreport.com. Theseriousreport.com for less than the price of a latte frappuccino over at Starbucks. You can get yourself a daily dose of London Paul with his special members-only daily briefings that gives you the intelligence, the insight, and the know-how of the wherewithals of the entire global economic community and all the things that are happening therein. And with that being said, London Paul, how are you, sir? Yeah, good morning, V. I'm very well. And yourself? I'm doing great, man. I mean, before we went live, we were talking about the wonders of the drunkard Theresa May and all the happenings of her government. Paul, what's going on? (laughs) Yeah, well... Well, actually, before we get started on that, I'll tell you, you talked about uh, Trump and uh, saying something to Merkel. Well, at the recent G7 meeting, Trump actually said, well, actually, he threw two Starburst sweets onto a table and said to Merkel, him, Angela, don't say I never give you anything. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which, uh... Oh, my God. <laughs> If only we'd actually seen her face, that would have been. I wish someone wow. had a camera. Yeah. So, but anyway, <laughs> I just thought that was quite an amusing little anecdote. I but it. I love it. <laughs> but on the subject of Brexit, well, I mean, where do you actually start? The, the biggest problem is they've had, well, effectively two years of crass incompetence where neither side could negotiate them themselves out of a paper bag i mean they're just absolutely clueless and of course eventually uh, made decides to come up with a plan that effectively i mean to call it so- a soft brexit as opposed to a hard brexit is is stretching uh, the point to um, to to breaking point because it's not even a soft brexit it's like a let's roll over and play dad to the to the european regulators because in essence what she said is okay we're going to remove a hard border to with ireland which effectively was a big bone of contention because the argument then is that well effectively people could end up coming through ireland through uh, eu immigration um because of open borders and then end up coming into northern ireland which is obviously part of the uk and therefore they can all flood your uh, the uk in that regard so that was one part. And the other part was she wanted to create what was this called UK-EU free trade area in which the UK would abide by a common rule book of EU regulation. So as far as I'm concerned, that is exactly the same pretty much as, as what the UK has now, even though it's still part of the European Union. Now, obviously, there was the Brexit secretary, David Davis, and he obviously naturally said, hang on, this facilitated customs arrangement or compromise plan. Um, that apparently allows the UK to set its own tariffs on goods arriving in the country was actually similar to an idea that the EU had already um, obviously rejected. 
And obviously, the government said under the plan, tracking devices would be used to determine whether the good, where the goods would ultimately end up and therefore whether UK or EU tariffs should be paid. Well, you can see how that's just not going to work. And what subsequently happened is the Brexit Secretary, David Davis, and his deputy, Steve Baker, resigned yesterday, after, just over two days, obviously, after May said she secured the backing of her whole cabinet, which we'll come to shortly, for a plan, obviously, which effectively, as we said, really is, is Britain leaving the European Union, but not. And then a junior Brexit minister, Sula Braverman, left as well. Now, there's some interesting developments with Boris Johnson, who's the foreign secretary, because he said, he actually said, colleague, this is what he, he actually referred to as a colleagues would be polishing a turd if they tried to defend the plans to the party in public. And he actually, a few minutes ago, resigned as foreign secretary, which I think is very telling of, I think there's going to be a leadership challenge to, to Theresa May, but we'll come into that in a bit more detail. So, the irony, of course, is that with this deal is that Labour, the opposition, are very happy because the government's in total disarray and they're going to need help, which obviously Labour aren't going to provide. Um, now, of course, the, the Conservatives who want to stay close to the EU after Brexit are happy because, well, May's made a decision, it's a soft Brexit, and they actually don't think there's going to be a leadership challenge. And even if it is, they think it will fail. And then... You know, obviously, as well, those who want to distance themselves from the EU now think, well, with Davis gone, now Johnson's resigned, it's going to give them ammunition to to overthrow um, May as the prime minister. And of course, May, the, the, then there's people in the, the sort of government who think that, uh, you know, who want to remain and they're going, oh, well, you know, this offers the UK's best hope because the you know, there's no, there's no other way out. Of, no, sorry, not the ones who want to remain, the ones who want to leave, but they're not very sort of high octane about it. And the broad mass of, of conservatives in the middle, well, they kind of think, well, Brexit's been achieved. Uh, who cares really what the outcome is? Because it's uh, we can just move on to something else. But um, the problem she's got is, setting aside Johnson resigning, is the fact that she's going to have to get it past her own party to begin with. And then also she's got to face this meeting. There's this thing called the 1922 Committee, which is that's a parliamentary group of the Conservative Party who are all Conservative backbenchers, and they meet on a weekly basis while Parliament's in session. And in a way, they coordinate and discuss their views independent of front benches who are basically the cabinet for the government. Now, they traditionally, if you don't have their support, you end up out on your ear, I suspect you'll now see sort of discussions that will start to talk about the fact that there'll be a leadership challenge. Um, and the biggest problem is with this whole deal is effectively the UK is going to be tied to the European Union with a string of rules. And how does that actually change anything? And what seemed to happen in the Friday's meeting is that the, all the sort of Eurosceptic ministers were all just just worn and driven into the ground. Eventually, they just gave up and went, okay, let's just sign up to this to this deal. But the reality is, of course, that a large part of the, the government or the cabinet itself still don't agree with it. They just got fed up trying to uh, negotiate. And I think they're just so sick of it all, they just want an end to it. But in fact, in reality, this is deeply damaging to the government. It's deeply damaging to those people seen to be supportive of it, which is why I think Johnson's resigned. 
And he does make the point, Johnson, when he said, you know, we keep blaming Europe for all our problems. Effectively, we're just going to keep the regulations the same and not change anything. And May, of course, is you know, tried to sort of suggest that this infighting has to end or she's going to start sacking people. And and I suspect, um, you know, obviously one of the principal people involved in that that she would have sacked would have been Johnson. Now, the issue, of course, is, OK, if this latest proposals is going to be rejected, not even if it's re it may be rejected by our own party. It may be rejected by 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 the sort of UK Parliament as well. But the question is, even if they put it forward to the EU, which is supposed to happen on the 16th, the chances are they're going to reject it because I don't think as a customs plan, it's, it's even it. You can't even implement it. And also, of course, the UK, even within that, has cherry picked the kind of things that it wants to be included in, in this agreement. So therefore, then you're just going to go through the whole rigmarole that it'll be thrown out and then they'll have to go back and discuss it again. And, you know, what what are the thing is really is there going to be a single market for goods? What is the UK going to opt to remain in a customs union? And, you know, blah, 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 blah. And the talks will just end up grind to a halt in reality and nothing's going to happen. And then so what's the, the outcome of this? Well, I think there will be a leadership challenge in the next. Well, I mean, there's a parliamentary recess due shortly, so. It may not happen till September, October time, because it, I can't see there's going to be a leadership challenge when Parliament's in recess, which actually happens for about two months in the UK over the summer. I mean, it's possible there'll be a lot of preparation in that regard, but I think I think in the end, Theresa May's on borrowed time, rather like Merkel, and and to try and suggest that this is a deal that you know, that is is remotely acceptable is farcical because it changes absolutely nothing, and we set aside the fact that. Brexit's largely a white elephant and irrelevant, but more importantly, it's now developed into a a political battle that will probably see the end of Theresa May as prime minister. It won't see another general election. All they'll do is someone will replace her, and uh, and then the the sort of nonsense probably in all likelihood will carry on. But it, it certainly is just it just demonstrates how utterly farcical the political system is and how these people. Who, who actually everyone, the mass majority of people think are elected and try to do a good job are simply incapable of, of doing something that, frankly, if you'd say, if you, if, if I'd gone and sat down with the European Union, it should have taken four to six weeks to say, this is what needs doing, this is how we're doing it, and that's the end of it. And it's because it's not rocket science, it's quite simple. And now, two years later, we, we're getting nowhere, and the chances are it will all just get thrown out. I mean, I don't think I don't know what the European Union thinks they're going to get out of, of rejecting everything, because if May goes, they're going to get someone probably far more hardline who's going to be far more hard nosed about it. And May, in, in all likelihood, just walk away from the European Union in a hard Brexit. And, and really, in reality, probably the UK should have just said, OK, we're leaving because the European Union would have gone into an utter tailspin if they had. They. They just relied on the fact the UK wouldn't do it. Well, in the end, you may leave the, U, the the government with no option but just to walk away from it. And if if they threatened to do that and said, right, we're going to have a vote on a hard uh, exit, I think the European Union would immediately cave in and say, well, what are we going to do about it? Because they know simply they can't allow a hard Brexit to happen because it's going to be as damaging to them as, as they perceive it will be to the UK in the process. Good wholeheartedly. Um, do you think this is going to happen? 
this is it going to finally go through this whole Brexit thing, or is this going to be more dragging of the feet, more excuses, more just you know? I mean, you have bureaucrats that are completely undermining the wish of the people here, Paul. Well, the thing is, the Britons supposed will leave officially leaves next March. Um, leaves the European Union, but just because you leave doesn't mean that. You just sever all ties on that day. I mean, obviously, there's a tr so-called transition period, and that's the issue. The way it's going, the transition period will extend way beyond the life cycle of the European Union as it is now, and it will become irrelevant. And and who knows, maybe part of the thing is that certain people are now becoming aware of it, which is why, even though fiercely Eurosceptic cabinet members went, oh, who cares, just just... Let May have let May just say this because ultimately we know the European Union will probably throw it out anyway, even if her own party doesn't throw out. It just weakens her because they want rid of her, and and that's a very easy way to to just agree with her on the basis then that you know subsequently weeks, months down the line should be gone anyway, and it becomes an irrelevant. So, but no, I mean, John, the reality I said two years ago, the European Union will probably be dead and buried lot because they'll there'll never be an agreement because the European Union doesn't want there to be an agreement in the Brussels form because then other nations may go, OK, well, we're leaving too. So I'll do everything to frustrate it. And the government simply don't have the people capable of, of actually realising what needs to be done in terms of leaving. But ultimately, it's low and irrelevance because the European Union, as it is now, will no longer exist it in the fullness of time and perhaps a lot sooner than we anticipate without putting any time scales on things but it's it's in the ICU like just about everything else so um, I mean so therefore on that basis I don't I don't I think it's largely irrelevant I think this has more become a political battle within within the government as to Theresa May staying or going and whether and if she's gone then I think then you'll see a different sort of negotiation in terms of, and and of course it depends on who's elected because if you have someone who's far more likely to uh, to take a hard line approach with the EU it will change everything very rapidly but of course who knows where we'll be in two three months time six months or a year it's and if it takes till autumn for um, to get a new or maybe a leadership challenge I mean then therefore a lot can happen in the next three months which could which could change the emphasis of everything because obviously economically there are big ch changes happening on a near daily basis and the whole paper western paper system is is getting more and more creaky for a whole bunch of reasons Paul how is uh, right now the establishment taking the Trump Putin summit that is literally just a few days from now. How are they taking that? What's the ramification well, of this? And, yeah. Well, the, the 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 big the well the thing is that's interesting is Trump's off to NATO, which then he's then he visits the UK and then he's off to Helsinki. So so it's going to be quite an interesting few days. I mean, we said a long time ago that NATO will no longer exist and. And of course, that's clearly one of the sort of old world structures that's going to eventually disappear. We've made very clear that Europe will have its own defense system and it will integrate the Russians or rather Russia will integrate 
into or sorry the european union will integrate into russia not the other way around i think we have to be there is a clear distinction even though it sounds the same um so the question is yeah of course the the cabal deep state are in are in utter panic with regards to trump and putin and what did trump request he wants a one-to-one -one meeting with putin which means absolutely nobody else is in the room i mean putin's english is better than perhaps people realize but so therefore they can communicate there wouldn't be a, a huge problem in that regard now i think that's pretty telling the only problem is and this is the big thing that that um that trump faces he well, hopefully he will has the wherewithal to realize that he can't go to russia seeking you know to develop relationships with uh, russia at the expense of china because it absolutely is never going to be allowed to happen there's not there's a lot of talk and i've seen it in recent weeks somehow that the idea that there's going to be you know that china that somehow china's going to either dump the russians the russians going to dump china and join the us or you know it's never going to happen china and russia are united in ways far beyond what they even talk about publicly never mind what we what we see in in reality developing on a daily basis and a weekly monthly yearly and particularly in the last five years or so what what the world doesn't realize is china and russia had their differences in the past but they had the intelligence to not repeat history learn from them and move the world in a completely different direction and we always come back to the biggest problem that china and russia don't trust the us or the uk or they trust they I think the integration of Germany into with China and Russia is going to be a lot easier. And I think that's likely to happen pretty soon, relative terms. The problem that the Chinese and the Russians have is not with Trump. The problem is that they look 5, 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 years in the, in the future. And they're going to go, well, Trump may get re-elected in 2020, okay? Balance of probabilities. He may or may, let's just say he does get elected. They're not interested in what trump says in 2020 or 2022 or even 2024 they're worried about who's going to be in in 2025 and 2030 and so on and so on they don't look in the short term their concern is not trump their concern is trust and they just don't trust the us or the uk and that is going to be a really serious problem that trump faces it's not a question of trusting trump i mean north korea's comments speak volumes because what did Pompeo went over and he was having conversations with Pyongyang. They weren't very happy with the outcome. Well, what was the one telling statement they made? You know, we we trust Trump. Yeah, they do trust Trump, but Trump is only a transient uh, figurehead in the U.S. And you know, if if the U.S. abolished their two, mind you, I don't think he'd serve more than two terms anyway. But the point is, he's only going to be around for a relatively short period of time. So. I don't doubt there's a lot of ground that can be made between Putin and Trump, and I think there will be, and I think it will scare the hell out of, of the cabal. But it won't change the fact that that's all well and good, but in the meantime, US foreign policy has to change. And the other thing is, if you're going to seriously upset the Chinese, which unfortunately the Trump administration seems to be doing on a near daily basis, Conversely, that's the from the Russian perspective, they're not going to be happy either because what the difference is, Russia, China really ultimately doesn't care what any nation does inside its own borders. It 
it can do whatever it likes because that's its choice. Well, it doesn't have to agree with it and often won't agree with it, but it's not going to do anything. But as soon as foreign policy impinges on the rest of the world, then they have a big problem with that. And from their perspective, the US still has too much interference and in, in nations around the world, which they're not happy about. And the US needs to stop antagonizing Chinese, which we've we've said many, many times before. Problem is now, of course, that the, the whole tariff war is 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 in full effect. And and what's the Chinese going to do? Well, there's a big consideration that they're going to slap 25% tariffs on US oil imports and effectively they're going to open the door to the Iranians to, to substitute U.S. oil imports for Iranian oil imports. That is pretty – I mean, it, these are the sort of weapons the Chinese have, and they're going to use them. They're not going to back off in any way, shape, or form. This is – I mean, there's a lot of noise coming out of the Chinese media, which we know largely reflects um, the viewpoint of Beijing. What's interesting, though, is that – the media is being advised by the Chinese not to, to go on the offensive with Trump because they know Trump's not the problem. But then again, it's the issue isn't Trump. The issue is when Trump's no longer there, they can't guarantee Trump will get elected in 2020. He may get so fed up he stands down or anything. There could be a whole bunch of reasons. So in two years' time, they may have a major problem. So while things are the way they are, they will continue to push out and they're not going to back down. And this is a is a major problem for the for the US in the process. So certainly I, I'm encouraged by what can come out of the Trump-Putin meeting. It, I think that's clearly obvious in terms of foreign policy. They're going to discuss North Korea. They're going to discuss the Middle East. They're going to discuss Ukraine. And I think it, to all intents and purposes, from Trump's perspective, there's a largely agreement on many points. Trump's made enough comments to and we said how he effectively torpedoed um, uh, the, the the cabal and Bolton when he went to North Korea, and he did. He did that extremely well. We know what his viewpoint is with regards to Syria. That you know, he said, "I want the troops out." And okay, and we can come on to actually. That's an interesting development with the OPCW, which we'll come to shortly. So he made that very clear. Obviously, subsequent events happen. Uh, the U.S., but again, it's like Ukraine. The Russians are furious with the, the U.S.'s policy over Ukraine because they're still supporting a tin pot uh, Poroshenko government. They're providing them with lethal weapons. They, they, are, you know, they continue to issue the mantra of, well, Russia's got to obey the Minsk agreements. Well, hey, it's got nothing to do with Russia, and it's just an excuse to keep um, you know, sanctions on Russia. Now, obviously, they're aware of the the whole problem that Trump has with the Mueller investigation, of course, that's a major problem. And why it was ever brought in was to make sure a rapprochement between Russia and, and the US would be very, very difficult, if not impossible. But then the question is, what does Trump do? He can't exactly go to Helsinki and come out going, well, I'm going to announce some public, I'm ending US sanctions. I mean, he could do. And it'd be fantastic if he did. But can you imagine the backlash? And, and of course, the risk is that what's the fallout and, and of course russia knows there's always a risk of fallout with in terms of the trump administration and it comes back to what what we said a long time ago is that they don't they don't have a problem with trump but when trump implements policies or his government does then they have to take that on face value and so trump's going to have to do some major 
U-turn with regards to Russia, which is going to be problematic for him for all the reasons you know we've discussed many, many times before. So the next week's going to be telling. I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure quite what will happen when Trump comes to the UK because, I mean, there seems to be an awful lot of people trying to stoke up protests against him, which, of course, is just nonsensical. I think it's going to be very telling when he goes to NATO uh, because he's basically going to say to NATO, well, you know, if you don't pay up, and, you know, we can't, and I know the U.S. shouldn't have to stump up the money it does for NATO. It's farcical. But NATO's a spent force, and rather like all these other cabal institutions, they're all on their way out in, in every way, shape, or form. And NATO's only one, one kind of small example of that. Very well said. Uh, Paul, Asia-Pacific, uh, you know, what's your take with uh, Japan... Um, as well as uh, China and all the happenings that are going on over there? Well, I mean, there is no doubt that we've always said Japan was one of the key vassal states of, of the cabal and has been since World War II. And steadily, you know, we've seen, particularly in the last few years, of there's been more and more reproachment between Japan and China. And I, I think that also ties in with, obviously, the Korean Peninsula as well. Uh, which I stand by my point. I said it 12 months ago that China really is pulling the strings with the Russians to a lesser extent, but they're pulling the strings in the Korean Peninsula because notice as soon as Pompeo has his has, uh, discussions with the um, North Korean delegation, first thing Kim Jong-un says is, "I want uh, goes to Beijing, I want a meeting with you. And, and that says it all. That's where the, the real sort of, dynamic side to what's going on there because and i'm not saying that diminishes trump's role but trump's playing the role very very cleverly in terms of of really usurping the the cabal as we've just said but in a broader sense economically the korean peninsula is one example of how the belt road initiative will grow out of that and the expansion across the whole of asia just continues uh, unabated. I mean, it just grows ever, ever stronger by the day, and there's more and more nations joining, and more and more nations taking part in bilateral trade, and and joining trade organisations, and and it and it will just continue to grow ever stronger. I mean, we could spend hours talking about it, with but really focusing on individual specific things probably is is largely irrelevant because anybody can largely go and check check those out on a there's plenty of media sources that will tell you those kind of developments but but undoubtedly i mean but again the problem is that how does how does the us fit into this or how does the uk fit into it and how are they going to have trade with these nations and that's the big problem because again it's the whole trust aspect i mean the uk has tried to worm its way in with china but i think china's been very sort of fairly loose about its relations with the UK. The only thing that we are seeing is, and this contradicts some of the, the, the rhetoric coming out of um, the US administration, is there's Chinese businesses being given approval to uh, to buy stakes or to buy out businesses in, in the US now. On a, there's been a few lately, and this is clearly in contradiction to, to the Trump policy of bringing jobs home because effectively they're allowing Chinese companies in, which the US needs to do. It has to do this. It needs Chinese investment because these companies realize it's a win-win. We can we can access markets we couldn't previously access. 
China wins, the US wins. It's the it's the way forward. But and that's something that's an encouraging development. It shows that whilst there's not trust in governmental level, there's trust between businesses and how businesses can operate. And that's that's an encouraging development because the more businesses US can can deal with in in the in China and in Asia, et cetera, the better because they need that inward investment. They don't have the capability to provide that investment themselves. But but as a whole, I mean that the whole of the Asia is just shaping up exactly the way we expected it to. And and I don't and I don't see that diminishing in any way, shape, or form. It's only going to grow and grow uh, as you know through 2018, 19, 20, and so on. There's there's no not going to be any let up in it. But increasingly it just puts more and more risk of isolating the likes of the US and the UK and, and Europe in the process. And this is what, but tellingly, of course, China is trying to develop relations with Europe and, and strengthen those. And people are saying, oh, it's to the, it's because of what's going on between Europe and the US. No, they've, they've been doing that anyway, or they've been trying to do that for a number of years because China realizes what's happening in terms of the European Union and its rotation away from Brussels. And therefore it can do that. But the risk is again. It's just all I. I just don't see at the moment anything to indicate. Maybe the Putin-Trump meeting will will allay those fears to some extent. But isolation of of the US and the UK and it seems just there's nothing to suggest that's not going to happen at this stage. But I mean, a lot can happen in a very short space of time. But meanwhile, the rest of the world just carries on living in a multipolar world developing relations, bilateral trade, military agreements. More and more nations will want to join the SCO. More and more nations will want to join the EAEU. They'll want to also join um, the ASEAN group. And then, and you'll see more and more trade groups spring up as a result of this, and they will all work in cooperation together. Absolutely. Paul, what's the latest with the... Uh the riots, the protests that are happening in Iran uh, and also the Middle East as at large, as well as the former oil kingpins of Saudi Arabia? Well, the point is that, as we said, there's a realization in Iran that, uh, that who was actually behind trying to inst- and, uh, implement Rajicham. This is, you see, this is another major own goal for the Trump administration. I mean, it, and, and it infuriates the Russians, it infuriates the Chinese, never mind infuriates the Iranians. It's because the Western-backed attempts to have regime change in Iran is, 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 is just proven beyond any doubt. They have been meddling in the, particularly they tried it in January and failed. They've tried it again, and it's now failing because even those who disagree with Rouhani, and there are disagreements and there are need for reforms, and everybody knows that, they've gone, hang on, there's, there's, a, there's a more common problem we have here. It's called regime change. It's, it's US-backed. They, they don't think it's solely the US involved, and therefore we need to tackle that problem. So very quickly they'll deal with the problem. It will die, and that will be the end of it. But in the process, it's just damaging U.S. relations with the with the rest of the world because, however anyone thinks about the JCPOA, as we said, every nation except the UAE, Saudi, um, the U.S. and Israel want it maintained, and they're doing everything to maintain it. We're not going to cover that ground again. 
But this is, again, another deeply damaging thing that the Trump administration is suffering. And once again, even if Trump, it's purely because Trump's very badly advised. The argument is, well, look, your administration's doing this. We don't approve of it. We're, we're not accepting of it because, again, you're interfering in a foreign power, which you have no jurisdiction to do so. It's just it's just not a good strategy. And if Trump wants to win the world over, he's going he's not doing it. He's just reinforcing the viewpoint that U.S. hegemony, whether it succeeds or fails, is not the point anymore. And it's not going to succeed. But from their perspective, it's same old, same old U.S. What tell us what's changing? Yeah, we know you're saying these things. But meanwhile, your administrations, whoever it might be, is meddling inside um Iran, you're meddling inside Syria. You have no legal authority to be there, and yet you continue to be there. And we know Trump doesn't want to be there, but in the meantime, you're still there. You're building new bases. Okay, you're increasingly having a more and more diminished uh, role in in the Middle East, but we still don't trust you, and and that's that's the big problem. In a broader sense, with Saudi, well, Saudi economically continues to be an absolute mass as a nation it's not resolving its problem but what's the one thing as well that's that's also very damaging for the u.s is the fact that saudi and, and russia seem to be forming an oil alliance and wants to exclude them now i'm assuming that that therefore is going to be something that trump's going to have to discuss with putin and say hang on why are you doing this and what's the implications for the u.s i think there is a big move to freeze the u.s out of out of the oil markets and they will drive the price in a direction that could. And we know the problem is that if oil goes to $40 a barrel, the U.S. oil industry is going to suffer hugely because it, it, it cannot afford oil prices that low. Equally, it doesn't want oil prices too high because it damages the U.S. economy. But, but it's maintained that balance. At the moment, it seems as though Russia and Saudi are starting to take a dominant position in terms of, of, of how, the, how OPEC nations were. Will, will price oil and also of course this feeds into the Chinese and the petro yuan so this is a big problem that Trump has to face but once again it becomes it's the trust aspect if there was a greater trust between the US the Chinese and the Russians then they could sit down and work out a compromise that works for everyone but the risk is they, they the trust just isn't there so that that is a big problem uh, in terms of MBS I think undoubtedly all the rumors he He'd been killed as being completely kibosh because he it was most certainly him at the World Cup with Putin. So that hasn't happened, but it does. It's deeply unstable in the process, and uh, because of the fact that there's people within the House of Saud who want MBS out there, undoubtedly, and um, MBS's vision for for Saudis um, not really achievable, and the whole Aramco IPOs is now on ice or stalled, or probably in reality it's being just throw it kicked into the long grass and it's not going to happen and uh, and people will argue why is that why is that the reality i think the reality is that when you start to uh, scrutinize the deal closely you realize that aramco's massively overvalued and no one's going to pay that price and but at some point you know, maybe they're just going to have to uh, go to the chinese and the chinese will take a huge stake and that could be a trigger point to say we're rotating to the petro yuan because Saudi's already buying oil in, in in yuan. They're just not publicly saying so. And of course, the other the other factor in terms of of U.S. sanctions, if they actually come to pass 
in with regards to uh, Iran, that's going to the Russians and the Chinese are not going to stand there and go, okay, that's fine, don't worry about it. They're going to react uh, accordingly. And one of those things might be, yeah, if you if you insist on implementing sanctions, we're going to put a 25% tariff on oil imports with you. And what's that going to do? I mean, someone like Iran will take up the slack. I and mean, there's this idea Iran's going to lose a million barrels of oil per day because of US sanctions. Well, a huge chunk of that will be taken up with oil that the US currently provides to, to China. And China will negotiate a price with Iran that's considerably better anyway than, than they get with the US. So it's a win for China, a win for Iran, and a, and not a very well a, a defeat in in for, for the US and their oil industry. So it's something that Trump also has to take into consideration. He And it comes back to the point, he needs to make some very tough decisions. Am I going to keep agreeing with the neocons? Am I, or, but what's he going to do? And he can't exactly go, well, actually, the JCPOA is fine. We're going to stick with it. And uh, uh, But in the process, um, you know, we're going to backtrack on everything because politically he'll lose a lot of face by doing it. But what have we also seen? That um, the Germans are going to uh, release reports of 300 million euros to, to Iran. It's going to be flown in on a plane. And this is because of sanctions, not because it's some strange dodgy deal going on. The figure is more likely to be somewhere between one and three billion euros. And why is Berlin doing this? Because the Bundesbank and various other parties have said, you're not holding the, the Persians to ransom anymore. Given the money, it belongs to that. Enough of this nonsense. So there's another indication that European nations are no longer going to, are just going to say, well, we'll do what we've got to do. And, and they're actually facing off against the U.S. in this process because what what's the U.S. going to do if they, they're going to try and put sanctions on the Bundesbank or sanction Germany for giving money to, to the Iranians that belongs to them? And the reason, as I say, it gets shipped in on, on a plane is because there's no other way of getting it to them. You can't transfer it because the U.S. will, will, will kibosh the deal and won't allow it to happen. So these are huge problems the U.S. is facing. And they're going to have to make some very, very tough decisions. And if they don't, they're going to get left. They're going to be isolated and left on their own and become. A, and it, it's a very sad situation, but there's no other way around it. Trust is everything. And if you don't start to readdress the problem and but Trump to do that, will have to make some massive U-turns that is going to make him very unpopular, you know, inside uh, Washington. And obviously, there's so many knives out to try and. Uh, in some way, shape, or form, um, you know, get him impeached or whatever else. They'll do anything. So if he gives them a glimmer of light with Russia, they'll 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 try and use that as another way of extending the Mueller investigation. We know it's all nonsense, but the fact it's nonsense doesn't is really irrelevant, and uh, and that's the big problem. Speaking of uh, some of the deep state happenings here, Paul, in, in the United States, what are some of your sources saying in regards to the drama that is being played out over here with Rosenstein, with Mueller, with Comey, with Strzok? What say your sources and what say you? Well, I think, I think look, the, the reality is we know the whole Mueller investigation is going to go nowhere. The problem is, <clears throat> that in the outset there was never any 
the remit given as to the, the extent of the Mueller investigation. So effectively, where one avenue of investigation obviously is going nowhere, they can open another avenue of investigation and another one and another one. But we know full well that uh, if you haven't found something by now, they're never going to find anything because there is nothing to 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 allow that in, that justifies the investigation carrying on. The problem with regards to individuals and their culp culpability it comes back to the fact that until you address the root cause of the problems in the U.S., then nothing is going to change because as much as we know what we know about some key figures and past and present in, in previous administrations, be it Republican or Democrat, be it the Bushes, be it um, the Clintons or Obama or whoever. The problem is, in order to resolve those, unless you deal with the fundamental issues that allow no adjudication to take place, then nothing will change. It doesn't mean ultimately there won't be, but what's going to be the catalyst that breaks that chain and then allows someone to challenge the Mueller investigation and bring it to an end. What's going to allow someone to say, excuse me, enough's enough. There needs to be a proper, a thorough investigation into, into Comey's conduct and his actions, for example. Well, here's the question. How long is that going to take to achieve? You can't just say, well, actually, we, you know, we've got these, we have these uh, understanding of Comey's conduct inside the FBI. By the way, we're just going to take to court and that's the end of it. And it's all going to happen in five minutes. I know I'm being a bit crass here, but my point is there needs to be an investigation. You're going to have to open investigations on all these individuals to ascertain have they be what are, what are they actually responsible for? What are they culpable for? What can we adjudicate them on? And what 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 chance have we got of then actually processing them? I mean, how do you take a former you know if you want to argue and say that there's former U.S. presidents culpable? How are, how do you actually address that? In terms of in terms of the judiciary and how do you adjudicate these people? I'm not saying you can't, but how do you do it? I don't know. And and it, and anyone I speak to goes, there's no there's no framework for this. There's there's no actual possibility of how you actually would achieve those objectives. That doesn't mean you can't do it, but it's hugely problematic, and it will just drag this whole kabuki theatre out forever and a day until at some point. The Trump administration's able to handle the real problems because I get the feeling it's one of those, if you address the fundamental problems and you can deal with that, then the ability to then start to adjudicate people is going to happen in a far more seamless fashion. It's not going to shorten the length of time this happens. But, I mean, I do think investigations can happen a lot quicker, for, for sure. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But the issue is you have to go through the whole adjudication process, and that's not going to happen in very quickly so the, I mean, we're back to this point when we labor it somewhat that you know the idea we're going to have an instant turnaround and all these people i mean you know if they open thirty thousand indictments how long let's say even ten thousand of that are guilty maybe twenty thousand it doesn't really matter how long is it going to take to process ten thousand people and in terms of adjudicating them and having a if there is a requirement for criminal proceeding how long is that going to take? And who, where's the resources to cope with that sort of bandwidth? And also resources in the judiciary you can trust to do it because there's no point doing it now because you could open, you could, you could open the indictments. And I can guarantee within a very short space, space of time, at the, the way things currently stand, 
most of them would be thrown out. And there's your chance gone, lost forever. You can't then go back and go, oh, well, actually, no, we were slightly wrong. We're going we're gonna, to... We're now going to um, arrest them on the, on the, these grounds, or we're going to prosecute them on these grounds. It's you've got a one, you got a one chance to do do this properly, and if you don't do it properly, you've failed. And what's the repercussions for the U.S. in that regard? So, I don't doubt eventually things will come to pass, but I think it's a process that will take a long time to achieve. And from people I've spoken to, they concur and agree from with my perspective. It doesn't make us right wrong or anything else but that's a perspective that and i think there's everything that, that proves that point quite eloquently and that may frustrate people but we deal with realities i would like nothing more for for the u.s administration and all and the uk and everywhere else for all the rotten core that that exists in it to be to be flushed out and removed but i'm realistic it's it's rather like the uk how long is that going to take it i don't know it could take a long time but from the Russian Chinese perspective, they don't care about that because that's our internal problems. The Russians and the Chinese have been dealing with their corruption for years. And they've removed a lot of the core of the corruption that exists in their own governments. And they did, and the fact it's taken them years to, I mean, if you look at it, why is China taken? I mean, you, people would argue, well, China should be able to process this extremely quickly and deal with it. But it's taken them years to do it because you have to have the factual proof that someone's responsible and the the audit trail to prove prove that someone's responsible given their seniority in the position they are and all the people they interact with is a monumental job and that's why it's taken the chinese years to do it and they i mean and they've handled millions of corrupt officials so and and, and okay and they can process things probably quicker than we could in the west so the argument, I, I just think it's it's not something that's a, you know an instant um, solution, and 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 if we think otherwise, we we're just you know unfortunately setting ourselves up for for a react for an outcome that's not going to happen, and people will get frustrated in the process. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is a process at hand. There's no doubt about it. Paul, what else is on your radar? We have about five minutes left. Go for it. Well, I think we 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 have to talk about the OC OPCW um, preliminary report that came out on Friday uh, with regards to and now we know the suspected chemical weapons attack in Duma. Well, their the report was pretty damning because it stated be careful, Paul. there's Novacek all over London. Just oh well, we have, we haven't even got on to Novacek. Let's just deal with. We'll talk about that in a minute with <laughs> with Syria because they the OPCW stated that no organic phosphorus nerve agents or their degradation products were detected in the environmental samples or in plasma samples taken, and they even used the term alleged casualties. So, I mean, these OPCW designated labs conducted analysis of what they call prioritized samples. And as they said, they showed none of these agents. Um, that what they did say is that they, along with explosive residues, various chlorinated organic uh, chemicals were found in samples from two sites. Uh, and they said there's this full chain of custody going on. Now, let's bear in mind that on the 13th of April, the White House came out saying a significant body of information points to the regime using chlorine in its bombardment of Duma and 
and also some information points to the regime also using the nerve agent sarin and what happened of course you had the us-led uh, strikes um, in syria now what happened in the major news headlines was all these references to sarin uh, unverified allegations of a chlorine attack i mean the uk did this the us did it and who knows how many other nations and the white house said it had this very high confidence the syrian government carried out the attack because they had blood and urine samples which tested positive for chlorine gas and a nerve agent and of course this went on and on throughout the month of april with all these you know headlines suggesting um, sarin nerve agent was used and of course what's now happened since the opcw they've now talked about oh there's various chlorinated organic chemicals well in the opcw interim report they only used the word chlorine twice that was in reference to social media and it didn't contain any declaration confirming chlorine allegations now we all know chlorine's used for water purification and it's also used in cleaning and obviously you can find what might be termed chlorinated organic chemicals in anybody's household and in what does it say in the technical notes of the opcw report it found it found dichloroacetate trichloroacetate chloral hydrate trichlorophenol and chlorophenol now if you look at if people buy things or go and have a look in your supermarket you'll find those written on all low an awful lot of chemical agents that people use in their house and importantly the interim report doesn't indicate quantities or concentrations in which these substances were found so you can't even conclude that there was possible that they were part of any chemical attack or use you know, in terms of weaponization and what does the repeatedly listed through the technical notes of samples taken there was no chemicals related to the chemical weapons convention of being found so what's the fallout of this well there's some very big positive fallouts. The mass media is going to suffer enormous collateral damage because of their repeated statements, which the OPCW report completely proves to be erroneous and incorrect. The only the downside is that Washington's and the White House's comments is going is now being discredited. Again, it's another matter of trust. Chinese and the Russians warned the US about this. They went ahead and, and launched missile attacks on Syria. The, pro the interesting thing is why now, why did France and the UK never launch a single missile in those attacks? They pretended to. They flew the planes around, came back, didn't launch anything. So what is there any fallout? And we said at the time, if, the, if this is proved that there weren't any chemical weapons used, is, is there a fallout for the Trump administration? Possibly, maybe, maybe not. So there'll be people out there and there are already arguing that there was war crimes committed on this basis. Now, I'm not saying anything will happen uh, as a result of this. But again, it's damaging for the Trump administration and the Chinese and the Russians will hold them responsible and say, well, we warned you. We told you there was no evidence and you need to wait for the OPCW report. To the wall. I mean, if they'd waited till now, the, the Trump administration would go, hang on, we've got no justification. For launching any any um, you know, missile attacks on Syria, the OPCW's credibility in this regard's grown considerably. So for them, that's that's a huge you know boost in terms of their impartiality because they've clearly demonstrated there's there's no evidence that the only thing we can say is there's these chlorinated products that you know I mean 
heaven forbid that uh, someone ever had a house fire, but you know, they if there was they had all these products, chances are they'd find these residues in someone's house. Does that mean mean they're making chemical weapons? Of course, that's absolute nonsense. So, uh, or if someone spilt something and you took samples, you'd find exactly the same. And I, undoubtedly, probably the concentration levels uh, are pretty you know consistent with that that you could find anywhere. So. And then, of course, yeah, you make reference to this whole business in Amesbury, which is near Salisbury and um, and Port and Down. And of course, on June the thirtieth, there was two people were hospitalised in, and the the Metropolitan Police has claimed that they've been exposed to Novichok. Um, and of course, subsequently, the woman Dawn Sturgis uh, very sadly passed away. Um, and the Russians have, have come out and said, well, hang on a minute, you ought to be very concerned about this because we offered to help you with regards to this investigation. Now, it appears as though people, you know, two of your British nationals have been poisoned by Novichok, as you are claiming. How is this even possible? And is this uh, become an issue that's, uh, that is far more concerning for not just Britain, but in a broader sense, other nations, because someone clearly has, has access to this if this i mean let's follow this through that this is correct i mean we we can argue there was never any novichok in the first place and i think there's every reason to believe this but because here's the basis the the original attack happened early march and exactly three months later they're claiming it happened again well novichok's reaction with water is it degrades very rapidly including moisture in earth so this idea there's all manner of reasons given oh well uh, you know, they were in a syringe. They managed, you know, somehow they managed to become in contact. Well, if anyone seriously suggests that uh, that it's possibly something related to what happened on the fourth of March, I think is is highly questionable. Because my fundamental question is, what's the half life of Novichok on or around neutral pH? You know, which is obviously what water is, or vapor or moisture. So, what is the half life? I don't believe the half life is is weeks or months it's just not it's just not possible and here's the question if it was a new if it was a you know a, a, a new fresh batch as they're trying to be unfair on the 4th of march which didn't kill either of the scripples uh you know, people will argue well there may be more physiological reasons why this dawn sturgis has died um i mean that that and that's a reasonable assertion but there is nothing uh from what we've seen that that in any way, shape, or form um, proves that um, that there is any correlation between Novichok and to say, and if it is, and if and it can't be between what happened on in March, even if you argue that Novichok took place, and now, in which case, if they're claiming it's Novichok again, then there's, then someone has has you know managed to acquire another sample of this and has used it, and why would somebody use it against two British nationals? It makes absolutely zero sense. I mean, if you're going to argue the Russians did it last time, they're not, which they didn't, but even if you follow that logical argument through, there's no way to indicate that they're going to use it against British nationals for absolute. There's no, there's no reason for it. So in essence, they have really opened up a hornet's nest, and the contradictions in the media that people are going to, are now starting to question. Hang on, what is really going on here, and what what's really happening, and. There could be a lot of conspiracy reasons why it's happening now. There's the Trump visit um, to 
to meet Putin in Helsinki. Maybe there's moves to try and stop that, or you know, there can be a whole bunch of reasons why it's happened, and and the timing sometimes is everything. But but I think there's it's now people are asking a hundred times more questions than they were the first time around, and and that's a good thing. And I and I it's very sad whatever the circumstances are for this person who's died and and I, you can't draw any conclusion apparently they've opened a, a murder inquiry into it well if the murder inquiry is done pro- correctly then that's great they'll get to the bottom of the reality of what's happened but in in no way shape or form does any of this relate to the russians be it in the past be it now and uh, and there's, of course there's also suggestions now that um Victoria Scripple wants to actually go back to Russia. Well, that's a bit of an embarrassment for the UK because um, how are they going to um, explain that away? Hello, you're you're telling me that. That's what happened. Yeah, you're telling. Yeah, but she she wants to go home still to Russia. I mean, for the average person in the UK, they're going to look at this and go, "Hang on a minute, you're telling us it's this." You must have told Julia Scripple that time, but she still wants to go home. I'm sorry, this this whole story doesn't uh, stack up. And in a way, this is, you know, the cabal elements digging digging the hole furiously. Give them a spade, and I'll just keep digging. And, but uh, you'd think they'd have learned the first time because I, I do. I this is highly suspicious. Either there are perfectly logical explanations to account for what's happened to these two UK nationals, and with regards to this. And the Novichok story is uh, doesn't have any legs. I mean, it could there could be a hundred reasons why they've been the way, the why what's happened to them. As I know, there's speculation. I'm not going to comment on it because I don't deal with speculation. So I'm not going to in any way suggest what may be the reasons because we don't know. But but I think tagging this as a Novichok, um, r- well, the reason they've ended up, and obviously Dawn Sturdish has died. The other the guy's critically ill. Um, and remains so to tie it to this is is farcical and in the end this is going to blow back very badly on the uk and and it's rather like everything uh, it's rather like the whole doomer incident that is going to have serious implications across the world because governments and and nations are now going to start saying hang on a minute that i mean you're telling me now that there wasn't any evidence of a chemical weapons attack I can imagine there's been some pretty uh, interesting phone conversations between the French, the UK and Washington. And I would be intrigued to know what uh, Trump's made of this with, because he was advised not to go and launch any missile attacks by Mattis in, in Syria. He told him not to do it. He was clearly advised by the parties to do it. He needs to turn around and ask these people some very pointed questions. Why the hell did you give me advice? Where now the intelligence proves it's absolute bullshit, and there's no other word for it. Correct. Exactly right. London Paul, sir, thank you so much for being on, and thank you for giving us a complete geopolitical rundown of all the hotspots geopolitically happening in the the world. And folks, if you haven't got a chance to do it, go to theseriousreport.com, the serious report. That's S-I-R-I-U-S, theseriousreport.com, and subscribe. Subscribe to the membership that will give you the play-by-play of the goings-on of the world. It is invaluable, it is data-rich, and it's filled with incredible information. Again, it's theseriousreport.com. London Paul, thank you so much, sir, for being on. And thank you for sharing. Oh, it's a pleasure as always. And 
I think just only one quick last point. Sure. We think it's been interesting so far. What's coming down down the sort of pike in the next weeks, months is is gonna is gonna make all this seem fairly trivial. I think we're going to some interesting sort of turning points, and what's coming about is going to just get only ever more fascinating as we we continue this steady march towards the death of the unipolar cabal world and the birth or the ongoing we're not even birthing now we're sort of like a a, a sort of young child growing and finding its feet in the multipolar world for a large part of the world that is already there and hopefully we as western nations can join that process too absolutely without a doubt and thank you all for listening in cj take it away <laughs>